And last week we looked at uh, the Garden of Gethsemane and talked about Jesus' willingness to surrender to the will of God. Not my will, but your will be done. And we talked about one of the ways that we can be more like Jesus is when we surrender completely and totally to the will of God. And I told you that uh, the Garden of Gethsemane was one of the favorite places that I visited when I was in Israel. Um, And then the second place was the empty tomb. I went to both of them in, in 2004 when I was in Israel with my friend Dave, I went to both of them. Uh, and we walked right in and, and went inside them. Uh, when we were back there in January this year, you had to stand in line to get to both of them. And I wonder, what, what's the difference? And the difference is, in 2004, there was a war going on in Iraq and Americans weren't traveling to the Middle East. Um, we went into place after place where a store owner would find that I was from the United States and would thank me for coming because nobody was coming to, to Israel in, in those days. But in both of them, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and in the Garden Tomb, which are two possible places where the tomb existed I walked in and looked around and saw an empty tomb and of course I expected it to be empty Uh, after 2,000 years you wouldn't expect anybody to be in there but you know when the disciples went the first time they got there and they went in and they stepped out and say he's not here he's risen he's gone and uh I couldn't help it when I stepped out of the tomb saying, hey, he's not here. You know, he, he's risen. And it was a special place for me, a special time to, to be there. And I told you last week about sit, sitting and praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. then I told you last week that there's a third place that uh, I found very special and uh, I want to talk about it this morning it's probably not one that normally that you would think about uh, but it was one that I found most meaningful maybe even more than the other two believe it or not we read about it in uh, Matthew chapter 16 And in this passage, when I read this passage to you, there are going to be three name changes. And uh, Sydney, I put that scripture on the... I didn't load that. Did you load it? It's a new presentation down there on the... There it is. Okay. I tell you what, that girl is a magician. 
she knows what she's doing. Uh, I marked the three name changes in bold so you can, you can see them when, when we get there. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. You know, I find names to be really, really interesting. You guys, for the last six years, six and a half years, have called me Roger, or Pastor Roger, um, depending on the situation. And, and Roger is the name that's on my birth certificate. And it's the name I've used for most of my life, except for the years I was in military school, they called me Russell. The years I was in the service, they called me Russell. And a lot of my coaches uh, throughout my time playing sports call you by your last name. They call you Russell. Uh, you know, I don't know why that is. But uh, that was the uh, name they used in the military. They call you by your last name when, when they're not calling you a degrading name of some kind or another. They call you by your last name. And then on a couple of the adventures that Jennifer and I have been on, we had what we called trail names. And you know, and there's still some people that remember me by one of those names. When we hiked the Appalachian Trail, I picked my own name. Uh, I decided I was going to be Roger, I was going to be Flint. You know? And so I was Flint. And since uh, we took the time off to, after all the years of working, we named Jennifer Jubilee. So we were Flint and Jubilee. And uh, there are people, as a matter of fact, we had a couple attend church here not long ago. That's, that's the way they know us, uh, is by Flint and Jubilee. And I know them by their trail name. I was thinking this morning, I, I'm not sure I can think of their real name, but uh, they, they were Poots and Eminem. But, uh, <laughs> you know, na names are e interesting things to remember. We, we uh, took a bicycle ride across Iowa one summer. We rode with 15,000 of our closest friends. And uh, we went with a club, and the club was called the Big Dogs. And each of the big dogs had a name. The, the guy that invited us to join the big dogs, his name was Weenie Dog. Uh, 
And so Jennifer decided we needed doggy names. And so she named me Mutt. <laughs> Does that figure or what? She was runt. When I was younger, a little guy, my younger brother called me Bobbo. And it's a still a name that my mom and dad use on occasion, but we've kind of kept that quiet, you know, that uh, uh, I know I, I can tell you that now because I only have one more week. You can call me that for a whole week if you want to. But when I was growing up, I often wished I had a different name, like Flint or Rocky. There was a boy on my Little League baseball team, you know, ended up being a good friend of mine. He lives in Bayfield now. Uh, his name was Dan. And my dad was our coach. Whenever we'd get together to have baseball practice, he would call him Dangerous Dan. And I always thought, man, I wish somebody would call me Dangerous Roger, you know? Nobody ever calls me dangerous. I wanted to be dangerous. My cousin's name was Rusty. It was a short of Russell. His first name was Russell. Uh, that would have been a good name. I should have kept that name after I got out of the service and just made people call me Rusty. But I'm just curious. How many of you are known, we know you, we call you by a name that's not on your birth certificate. Anybody? There's several. Um, it's not, those of you who didn't want to raise your hand, this isn't, this isn't a case for Homeland Security. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering, okay? Um, but in this passage that we read just a moment ago, there are three new names. There are three names that are given in that passage. The, Jesus gave Peter a new name. When Jesus says, who do you think I am? Peter said, you are the Christ. He gave Jesus a new name. Or he gave him a title. You see, up until that point, up until Matthew 16, he had not been called Christ. Now, there are some instances in Matthew where he's called Jesus Christ, but that is a, a author talking about something that had happened in the future because uh, he was known by the end as Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. But this is the first place a disciple or anybody actually calls him that name. And so Jesus gets a title here at Caesarea Philippi. The, the second is, when he did that, uh, Jesus gave Simon a new name. He said, instead of calling you Simon, we're going to call you Rocky. Uh, that's the meaning of Peter, the little rock. Uh, and so Peter means a little rock. Essentially, you're Rocky. And so Jesus gave Simon a name that we know him by. Most of us know him by Peter, not by Simon. Uh, there were two Simons in the New Testament. And so when the New Testament writers are writing about him, they usually say Simon Peter. 
But until this day, that wasn't his name. His name was Simon. Uh, He was called Simon Peter in the New Testament to distinguish him from Simon the Zealot. Uh, But he had lived his whole life up until this day in Matthew 16 as Simon. Uh, Mark tells us that it was here that Jesus called Simon Peter. Uh, And then, you know, there there are a lot of times that people's names are uh, changed because of an event in their life. Now, I told you I love names. Uh, And I'm going to talk about names for a little bit, and then we'll look at these three names. I read a book not long ago about Crazy Horse. Now, there's an interesting name. Uh, He was the Sioux chief that led the attack against Custer. And there's a chapter in that book that talks about Indian names. And, uh, you know, a couple of them, you know, the meaning of them are pretty obvious. You know, one one, uh, was named Good Looking Woman. You can figure that one out. But there was another one whose name was They Are Afraid of Her. Who's they? And why are they afraid of her? Rattling Blanket Woman. That was Crazy Horse's mother. Why was she called ratting, Rattling Blanket? Um, there was one Indian lady called She Looks at Him. And uh, there's a picture in the book of about a half a do- about a dozen Indian women who are sitting on the ground on a small hill, and they're all sitting there and they're all looking at the ground to their right and they're looking at the ground while the guy's taking a picture, except for one. And she's sitting in the back and she's looking right at the camera. And the author says that is the woman called. She looks at him. For some reason, she didn't avert her eyes. She kept looking. Uh, how about this one? She walks as she thinks. I read that and I told Jennifer, I think her Indian name would be She Walks in Front. You know, I can't ever keep up with her. There's one Indian called Encouraging Bear. Now that's a cool name. Encouraging Bear. There's one called Old Man Afraid of His Horses. And another one called Young Man Afraid of His Horses. And that sounds like a strange name, but what it means is that he is so feared among the other Indians that they're afraid of his horses. Not that he's afraid of his own horses. Spotted Tail, Jumping Buffalo. Um, Here's a favorite. Plenty of Lice. They've probably been to camp, Sue. (laughs) But in the Bible, when we look in the Bible, Simon is not the only name that God changed. Abram, the high father, was changed to Abraham, the father of many, in Genesis 17. Jacob, who was given the name Jacob because when he was born, he was grabbing his brother's heel, and Jacob means grabber, After he wrestled with God, his name was changed to Israel. 
uh, meaning he who strives with God after he wrestled with the angel. And in the New Testament, there are people whose names were changed. Saul, for example, who we know as Paul. You know, there's a lot of uh, speculation about why that name was changed, why his name was changed from Saul to Paul. Uh, But possibly, the truth is just simply it was his nickname. Because Paulos means shorty. And you know people who's called shorty. Maybe that was how Paul got his name. In Acts, we read about Joseph, a Levite, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager to the disciples that they changed his name from Joseph to Barnabas, from whatever Joseph means to the encourager, the son of encouragement. It would be cool to be such an encouragement to people that they gave that as your name. You know, he's an encourager. He encourages me. So we know when and why Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. They were living and doing ministry in the desert land. And this is part of what made this spot so interesting to me. I I brought some pictures. Don, let's, let's not use the... You won't be able to see me, but you should be able to see the pictures. This this is a picture of the uh, Sea of Galilee. And uh, this is the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, right where it comes to the end. Down here on the northern end is Capernaum, where Jesus did much of his ministry. That That is not Capernaum. It's on back this way a little bit. Uh, but the thing that's interesting about the Sea of Galilee is that it's 650 feet below sea level. In other words, it's way down there. Uh, The summer water temp in the Sea of Galilee is 90 degrees. So when you go swimming in it, it's as warm as our hot tub. Not quite. Our hot tub's a little warmer than that. But uh, it's about 90 degrees. And so it it was hot. And that's a place where Jesus spent most of his ministry, most of his life. The the next picture shows a picture of Mount Hermon and the mountains around it. And and Mount Hermon uh, is is high, even even though it's in the Middle East. Uh, it, you can be wearing your shirt sleeves down on the Sea of Galilee and skiing on Mount Hermon. It was that kind of a, a temperature difference and so I can imagine Jesus taking his disciples there not to go skiing but to go up there to get out of and escape the heat down by the the Sea of Galilee and so here's a here's a picture this is a spring this is Hebron spring this is the region of Caesarea Galilee Caesarea Philippi and this spring, in Jesus' day, the spring came out of the cave that's up there, but there was an earthquake that changed the spring, and now it comes down below. And this is the beginning of one of the branches of the Jordan River. And it comes out of the mountain right there. And just about a mile downstream from there, there's a group of waterfalls. That 
would be in January. That was a pretty cold place. In the, in the summer, that would be a pretty cool place to be if you're trying to escape the heat. And there was a city at the spring, and the name of the city was Banyas. Today, it's an Israeli national park. If you go to the region of Caesarea Philippi, you're going to an Israeli national park, and it's called Banyas National Park. And if you look it up on the map of Israel, that's its name. But in Jesus' day, the city got a new name because when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided and given to his sons. And one of the sons was Philip. And Philip went to Banyas, and he built a temple to Caesar in honor of the one who gave him his kingdom. Then he built himself a palace in the city itself. Um, and then he renamed the city in Caesar's honor and his own, and thus it became Caesarea Philippi. And that's where that name of that city came from. Only during the Caesar's time was, was that the name of it. And it had been a popular place for a long time. When Jesus and his disciples went there, it was a special place for a lot of religions. When the disciples were there, and the spring was coming out of the cave, there was a temple at the cave. This, by the way, is, is the ruins of Caesar's, of the temple that Philip built for Caesar. That's what those rocks and those stones are. The next passage show, shows uh, another, the next photo shows another one of the uh, monuments are there, one of the, one of the other temples, the remains of another temple. The next one shows the cave, there was a temp there was a temple built right in front of the cave. It was a very holy place. And then this was another uh, temple. Go back a little bit. Go back one, Sid. This, this one was another uh, temple site. And I'll show you those in just a second. And this group was a group of Nigerian uh, Christians who were visiting Israel in the same time that uh, we were there. Uh, now go to the next one. And then this shows you a, a succession of temples. And, and, you know, one time I knew the names of all of these temples, all of these gods that these were temples to. But these were all, they weren't ruins in Jesus' day. When Jesus was there, these were all temples. And they were all worship places. And there were people who were there to worship Pan, people who were there to, to worship Hermes, people who were there to worship the shepherd god. Uh, and there were all kinds of religions and, and religious people uh, who, who went there and who were, were there. It was a very, very popular place. And so there were religious people everywhere. Look at the, the next one, I think, is the representation. No, that talks about the... Uh, Shepherd God, go to go to the next one. Here, here's a picture, an artist rendering of what those temples look like. The I showed you the ruins. Here's there over on the left. There's the temple that's right in front of the cave. To the left of that is where Caesar's temple was, and then there's there's the platform that the Nigerians were standing on, and there was a god back there. Uh, and then there's another temple here and another temple here and a temple down below and a temple over here um, and then back up here was Philip's pa palace 
And so all of those things were there in the mountain. And that, that's, those are all the things that were there when Jesus took his disciples there. Up, up above, you know, you see that, that big cliff? Think Moab when you see that cliff. That's the kind of cliff that, that were all around this place. And then up on top, there was a, a castle to a Canaanite uh, god. A Canaanite it was called the Fortress of Nimrod. And uh, so there were religious people everywhere. As you look at that, you know, you, you see people everywhere, all kinds of different religions. They're all, they're all walking around there. And it was in that context that Jesus asked this question. Who do men say that I am? Mark says, he said, who does this crowd say that I am? And so Jesus isn't asking a, a suppositional question. Jesus is asking a direct question. Who do you think these people think I am? You know, they have their gods. They have their temples. Who do they think that I am? And he asks that question as, as he's surrounded by the temples of the gods and all the different people. And uh, so they said, well, they, they think you're another prophet, another god. You know, the pantheistic religions don't have any problem with naming Jesus another god. But the critical question that Jesus asks is the next one. And he looks and he, he, he directs it directly to his disciples. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And that's the key question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter's response, you are the Messiah, or you are the Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're not a prophet. You can turn the light on him. You're, you're not one in the, these pantheon of gods. You're the only begotten Son of the one living God. That's who you are. You're not a statue. You're not an idol. But you are the God who is alive. You are the Christ. And then Jesus gave Simon his new name, Petros. Little rock. All those temples are made out of stone. There's stone everywhere. There's the big rock there. There's all the stone. There are brick-sized stones. There are larger stones. They are all stone temples. And I think Jesus picked up one of those little rocks, or he pointed to one, and he said, You are a little rock. You are a little rock. And then he says, But on this Petra, the word Petra is like Petros, except it doesn't mean a little rock. It means a large foundation stone. And I think he pointed back to that cliff. And he said, this isn't big enough of a foundation to hold my church. I'm not building a little church. These little temples that are built with stones, I'm not building a little church like these. I'm building one that will have a foundation that these cliffs could not hold. I am building a church, and one thing we all need to remember is his promise was to build his church. Not my church. Not your church. 
his church. I will build my church. Years later, when writing to Christians, Peter remembered that lesson. He said, all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ are living stones. We're living stones. Every building a stone in the church of Jesus Christ, everyone who makes this profession that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, everyone who makes the, the, the profession, I choose you over all these false gods of the world, the gods of the temples, the gods in government, the gods in society, I choose you over all the other competitions in the world. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the living God. That's what makes a person a Christian. It's choosing Jesus over everything. That's what makes a church a church. It's one where Jesus is Lord, where Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, there are a lot of holy places in our world. The, holy, the holiest place in the whole world to Jews is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and they're forbidden to walk on it. And so you know what they've done? They've dug a temple next to the wall, I mean, a, a tunnel next to the wall of the temple down at the street level, and they've dug it all the way down that corner that side of the temple where the wailing wall is you've seen the wailing wall they've, they've dug a tunnel all the way down the temple and at the place where it's the closest to the holy of holies the closest to the temple they've carved a lit big tunnel out of there and there's a synagogue down there and both times that I've been there it's been totally full of Jews worshiping because it's a holy spot. It's as close as they can get to the temple. And the reason they can't get there is because up on top of the Temple Mount, the uh, Islam has built a mosque, and that mosque is the third holiest place in the world for Muslims. The third holiest place for Muslims. So where do you think, this is a test, where do you think the holiest place for Christians is? Is it the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where the crucifixion and the sacrifice, is it the garden tomb, is it Caesarea Philippi, is it uh, Gethsemane, where do you think, trick question, where do you think the holiest place for Christians is? What? Where the cross was. Where the cross was. It's the human heart. God dwells in the human heart. That's where our holy place is. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't dwell in temples. It doesn't gave, live in caves or in mosques or even in churches. He lives in the hearts of all of those who make that great confession. Jesus, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, and I think this was a very dramatic moment, and I don't think we can overemphasize it. As, as you go back and you look at that, them, that uh, all those people there and all those temples, and he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's quite a statement. That's quite a statement. And then he says, but don't tell anyone. Did you read that? Did you hear that in those last verses? But don't tell anyone. And I always had trouble understanding that. But I think I figured it out. I think that day I stood at Caesarea Philippi, I figured it out. Now, this is just my figuring, okay? doesn't say this anywhere in the Bible. This is just my figuring. But I think with all these people here at their temples, Jesus was saying to them, let's don't make a big deal out of this with all these people because we aren't ready to confront them with their false temples, gods, and pagan ideas. Because then he gives us the next verse. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus says, we're not going to build a temple here. We're going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus is sharing his mission. I have to go to Jerusalem. That's why he came as the Messiah. That's why he came as the Christ. And he came because he loved us. He first loved us. For God so loved the world. Why did he love the world? Not because it was good. Not because it did good things. Not because it obeyed him. He loved the world because God is love. And he loves us because of who he is. Not because of what we have done. Don't ever forget that. That's key. The day I first visited this place, that group of Nigerian Christians were there. And my friend Dave and I had just finished eating a picnic lunch. There was a picnic table there and a trash can. and We, we were just sitting there eating our picnic lunch. And we just finished. And uh, we're getting up and walking back to the car, back to the trash. Somewhere walking across there. And uh, this Nigerian man, great big guy, bigger than me, a lot bigger than me, approached and he said, where are you from? He probably thought we were Israelis. I mean, after all, we were in Israel. We weren't with a tour group. I told him, Utah. He didn't understand that. He says, Utah, I don't know Utah. And I said, Utah is one of the states in the United States in America. His eyes got about that big. A big old grin came across his face. He opened up his arms and he says, The USA? I love the USA. And he reached out and he grabbed my hand. 
kind of like a, a dad grabbing a little boy's hand. I mean, great big hand. He grabs my hand and he shakes it and he says, what is your name? And I said, Rocky. <laughs> Not really. I said, my name is Roger. And so then he volunteered his own name. He said, my name is, and he gave me this name. I know it was 30 letters long, and they were all vowels. Uh, you know, it was, it was the most unpronounceable name I've ever heard in my life. I, I was just kind of dumbfounded. What am I supposed to say? You know, I was taught that if you want to remember someone's name, you immediately repeat it after they tell it to you. And then you can remember it. Well, I couldn't begin to repeat that name. I, you know, I couldn't even get the first syllable out. And he kind of grinned. And he looked at me. And then with this great emotion and volume and hand gestures, he said, my name means God loves me. And I thought, cool. That's better than any of the other names. That's better than Rocky or Rusty or Flint. That's better than Encourager. It's true. God loves me. A simple truth but true nonetheless. And, and we need never forget that truth. God loves me. He loves you. It's the first song we learned at church. What? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's so simple. But we learn it and it's a great truth. Jesus. God loves me. You know, Karl Barth is known as one of the greatest theologians in the history of the Christian church. He was a Swiss. And one day he was having kind of a question and answer time with one of his, with his students. And one of his students set up and said, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest theological truth? Now here, here's a man who who knows his theology. He wrote a great theology on the book of Romans that, that is a classic to this day. He could have given any theological truth there is, but his students said, what is the greatest theological truth? And he answered, without even thinking, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. So as children, we learn the greatest Bible truth there is. He knew me before I knew myself. And He loved me. He called me to be His child. He offered His salvation freely. He found me. He saved me. He forgave me. And one day, he will glorify me. Paul said, He who did not spare his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? He loves me enough to send his only begotten son into the world to take my sins in his body to the cross and offer me his glorious salvation. Because he loves me, my name is God Loves Me. I got that new name at Caesarea Philippi. And the good news is, that's your name too. Say it with me. Gestures and everything. God loves me. One more time. God loves me. Folks, never forget that. Never forget that. What's that? Don't be giving me sign language if you're not interpreting. We don't speak in tongues without interpretation. Jesus took our sins in his body on the cross because he loves us. He wants us to have eternal life because he loves us. He wants us to spend eternity with him because he loves us. And he offered that salvation freely as a father to a child. And you've surrendered your life to God. I know you have. You've given your heart to Christ. You've received him as your Lord and Savior. This truth is yours. God loves me. New name. You didn't know when you was coming to church that you was going to get a new name, did you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth that you have given to us. There's so many names, there's so many different names, there's so many different ways to be named, but there's no name that's more magnificent than Jesus and no name for us than the name that God loves me. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You know, night before last, I was thinking about this, and I wondered if there was any way in the world I could find out the Nigerian word for God loves me. And so, guess where I went? Yeah. Went to the internet and looked it up. The problem is, is there are so many Nigerian dialects that you don't know which one you're looking at. But you know what I did discover? Nigerian names, well, about half of them, about half the names of Nigerians have to do with God and our relationship to God. And one of them indeed was God loves I still can't say it. And I even read it. Brother Mike, come and lead us. You want to go get ready? Or are you ready? You are ready? All right. As we stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, no other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Thank you, be seated. saying that uh, she wants to follow the Lord in baptism and uh, you know, a couple of months ago we baptized her mom and her aunt and uh, so this morning we're going to baptize Brittany and Brittany after I lay you back in the water in order to protect my back I want you to reach up and grab a hold of Mike's hand and let him pull you back Uh, Brittany, because of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, in obedience to his commandment, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with him in baptism and risen to the walk in the new life. She likes that better to say. She likes that. All righty, you're dismissed. Oh, wait a minute. No, you're not. <laughs>